0: Today's reading from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued in you they trusted and were not put to shame but i am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people all who see me mock me they make mouths at me they wag their heads he trusts in the lord let him deliver him let him rescue him for he delights in him yet you are he who took me from the womb you made me trust you at my mother's breast On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls encompass me, bulls, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me, they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones, they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him, From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. To even the one who could not keep himself alive, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. The word of the Lord.
1: It is a heavy and glorious thing to consider the death of your son. Father, I pray that you will save us from allowing anything of Jesus' suffering and death to deflect off of our hearts. Don't let it just sound like noise. Don't let it just be background noise. If we have heard the story before, don't let us be so familiar with it that we forget to perceive its power. And if it is new to us, grant us to see its meaning. And so, Father, you tell us that it is the special work of your Holy Spirit to make Christ clear. So now will you make Christ clear? Get our attention, do whatever it takes, get down into the depths of our hearts, engage our minds and grant us to see him. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, everyone. Um, Friends, uh, today... We're gonna keep up the same basic theme uh, that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about courage. We're gonna keep talking about courage. And, and I'm just gonna to cut to the chase. Here's the main point in the sermon. So no big reveal, just here it is. What I wanna show you today is that the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ is the source of all real Christian courage. The cross of Christ is, is the source of Christian courage. Now, um, today's Palm Sunday, um, and uh, Palm Sunday uh, is is a day when usually we talk about what we were be talking about at the very beginning of the service, if you were with us. We, we talk about how Jesus entered Jerusalem, uh, and we wave around palm branches a little bit like this, or, or maybe it's not folded, but you, you get the idea. We wave around palm branches, and we kind of celebrate how Jesus was received into Jerusalem as uh, the king. And and there's nothing wrong with that. There's everything right about that. Um, but on the other hand, Palm Sunday is also uh, the doorway to a much darker story. Uh, because within a week, Jesus is dead. So on Sunday, Palm Sunday, the crowds receive him and proclaim him as king and, and throw their coats down and, and say, Hosanna. But then on Friday, uh, they call for his head and he's killed. Now, this year, today, uh, we are not going to talk very much about Jesus entering Jerusalem. Instead, we're going to look at that darker story, the story of his crucifixion. And part of the reason we're going to do that is just um, the darkness that we're going through right now. Um, there's a heaviness. And it's a heaviness not just because we're separated from each other. There's a heaviness because there is, there is, there is death um over 600 people died yesterday in in new york and so there's in the midst of the darkness um we need courage and and maybe that's not the way to say it i am going to keep saying it that way but but maybe a better way to say it is we need to know how to navigate in the dark um and i don't know anybody th- that can navigate better in the dark than Jesus, because he went deeper into the darkness than anyone ever else has. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at Jesus, how he navigates in the dark, or I want to look at Jesus's courage. And I want to say, Jesus, show us the, the heart and the animating center of your courage. How did you walk through the pain and how did you navigate the darkness? Because we need to learn how to navigate in the darkness and we need to learn it pretty quickly. Because it seems to me that whatever else might be happening right now, one of the things that is happening is that all of us are beginning to realize that um, that our, our fundamental expectation that our life should be comfortable is just, just not real. Life isn't that comfortable, at least not all the time. And so we need to kind of retrofit ourselves and try to figure out how to navigate in the dark. And I don't know anybody better than Jesus to do that. So, my question is, Jesus, where did your courage come from? How did you navigate in the dark? Now, that's my question, but it's not obvious how we're going to answer that question. Because um, in order to answer that question, somehow we need to get inside the mind of Jesus. So, it's one thing to look at the exterior circumstances that Jesus suffered. That's easy. The gospel showed us that. But the question of how did G- where did Jesus get his courage from That means that we've got to somehow get inside Jesus. We've got to get underneath, not just circumstances, but inside him. How do we do that? Well, there's a clue. In the gospel reading, Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, one of the last things that Jesus ever says before he dies is he says this. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, that's a pretty haunting thing for Jesus to say, isn't it? Um, However... Jesus didn't make that up. Jesus was quoting Psalm 22, a psalm, a poem written hundreds of years before him by his ancestor, King David. We, that was our first reading. And if you look at the first, re, uh, first line of Psalm 22, it's just what Jesus says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was quoting Psalm 22, but Jesus wasn't just quoting the first line. Uh, Psalm 22 way back then wasn't called Psalm 22. Its title was its first line. That's pretty much how the how the Psalms worked back then. It's a little bit like uh, Amazing Grace. You know the hymn? Amazing Grace is called Amazing Grace because the first line of Amazing Grace is Amazing Grace. Same with Psalm 22. And when Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting that first line, but he's also referencing the whole Psalm. And he's implying, and this is what's important for you and me, he's implying that this Psalm written hundreds of years before him by his ancestor, David, that this Psalm somehow captures some of what he is, he is experiencing inside. If the gospel reading shows us, shows us what's happening outside, this psalm shows us something of what's happening inside Jesus's heart and mind. And therefore, I want to look at this psalm and ask Jesus, where did your courage come from? And what does that mean for us? All right. Turn over to the psalm reading and let's get into it. And it's going to take a little bit of courage for us to even look at this psalm because it presents a pretty dark picture. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 This is what Jesus quotes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then going on, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Now pause. Um, Look, background. This was written, as I said, by King David, hundreds of years before Jesus. Now, we don't know King David's situation. We don't know what caused David to write this psalm. However, we do know that this is not the prayer of an unbeliever. This is not the prayer of an agnostic. This is not the prayer of somebody before they meet God. This is a prayer of a believer who is feels utterly abandoned by God and is experiencing, experiencing crushing pain. It's not, oh God, if you're out there someplace, I could really use your help. That's a good prayer to pray. Some of us have prayed it, you should. But that's not this prayer. This prayer is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why'd you run out on me? Now, do you see the difference there? The first speaker is King David. It's quoted by Jesus. So Jesus is the second speaker. Both Jesus and David are men who are marked by living intimacy with God. You can see that in verse 9. Verse 9 says, Yet you, God, are the one who took me from my mother's womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. Which means, they're saying, God, I don't remember a time when I did not know you. I have always enjoyed intimacy with you. I have trusted you, and you have always been trustworthy. Where are you now, Father? So, there's circumstantial suffering. Things are going bad. I don't know what was going bad in David's life. We do know what was going bad in Jesus's life. But then underneath the circumstance, there's relational suffering. They feel abandoned by God. But now, watch how they deal with it. The first thing they do is they look back at God's track record. Look at verse 4. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and they were rescued and they who tr- those who trusted you were not put to shame. Okay. Um, test. Do you remember the sermon from two weeks ago? Preachers dream that everybody remembers, but I know, don't worry. Um, here's, here's what the sermon from two weeks ago was about. Um, it, it was this, if you want courage... You need to look at God's track record. You need to look at God's work over history. And you'll find that God's grace targets crisis. Now, that is David's first instinct. First David and then Jesus, they look back over the course of God's track record and how God had rescued people in the past. However, there's a problem. It's as if they say this. God, your grace has always targeted your people's crisis. I can see that. I can see that because I can read the Bible. My fathers, our forefathers trusted you. You did not let them be put to shame. But then the psalm, it's like they say this, but wait and look, God, because right now everyone's shaming me. Why isn't it working? I take that from verse seven. Look at it. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Now, by the way, if you were paying attention in the gospel reading, it's okay if you weren't, but you can go back and look at it later. Um, That's almost exactly what people say as they pass by Jesus when he's on the cross. Stop and feel the darkness. Because God's past faithfulness appears to be default. So everything's terrible. And then it gets worse because first David, then Jesus, you know, it's as if, it's as if David says, well, okay, if, if, if people are shaming me right now, then maybe it'll be okay. If I can, if I can just know God's near, if I can just know his presence right now. And and that's actually what last week's sermon was all about in case you forgot. Um, Remember, seek God's presence in the midst of your fears. And first David, and then as the second speaker, Jesus, that's what they do. But again, there's a a problem. Verse 11, do you see verse 11 there? Verse 11 says, be not far from me for trouble is near and there is no one to help. But then look at verse 19, repeats the same thing. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. First David, and then Jesus They're kind of like following the plan. They're doing exactly the right thing. Their hope is in the presence of the Lord. They're seeking that presence. But then even while they do that, look at what happens between verse 11 and verse 19. It all goes terrible. They're surrounded by enemies, bulls and lions. In that context, those are big, scary things. And in the face of those big, scary things, their body starts to fail. Verse 14, my bones are out of joint. Verse 15, my strength is dried up, utter exhaustion. And then in the face of that fear, their hearts, their internal life starts to fall apart. My heart melts within me, verse 14. And then in the midst of that complete vulnerability, the bad guys get up and they pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 16. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them. Sound familiar? And the most chilling is verse 15, where first David and then Jesus say to God, you lay me in the dust of death. And death... That's the pit of the darkness. You know, in the Bible, um, death, you know, the the, the fact that death reigns over our world, right? Like all beautiful things die eventually. If for no other reason that all those who can see beautiful things eventually die, we're all going to die. And that curse of death in the Bible is is a penalty for our rejection of God, our, our sin. More about that in a minute. In the Bible, death is an image of being cut off from God's presence. And so as Jesus is meditating on this prayer on the cross, he cries out for God's presence, but then he gets left in the dust of death. He gets cut off from God's presence entirely. Now for David, uh, this is, there's something metaphorical here, right? Um, David couldn't see it yet. I think, but God was going to rescue him and, and he, he, he doesn't die in this particular crisis, but for Jesus, while he was on the cross, what was metaphorical for David became literal in Jesus's experience. Now you can't understand the courage of Jesus and how he navigates in the darkness until you see the hell of his suffering And it's worth remembering, Emmanuel, that Jesus has gone further into pain, deeper into the darkness than any of us ever will. It's one of the reasons we can trust him, even if we don't understand the pain. But that's not enough. Because we still need to see where does Jesus's courage come from in the psalm? Okay, a little bit of context. We get a clue... In another part of the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, uh, which is in the New Testament, it says this. It was for the joy set before Jesus that he endured the cross. What does that mean? Well, it means something like this. Jesus somehow was propelled through his suffering, even in the midst of the darkness, because he knew that God was going to keep his word and bring him somehow to joy. Can we fill that in a little bit? Well, I think Psalm 22 can. Go back to Psalm 22. Do you notice in this Psalm, that the first half of Psalm 22 is super dark? That's what we've been talking about. The second half of Psalm 22 though, is completely different. It is quivering with joy. And it's a little bit, there's this pendulum swing that happens. not back and forth, It, it just, there's one giant pendulum swing or better, I think. There's two scenes in Psalm 22. The first scene is about complete suffering. David and then Jesus cut off from God, or apparently so. That first scene then closes. Then another scene opens after verse 21. And the second scene happens after some sort of rescue. And what you see is first David and then Jesus quoting him they're celebrating. It, they're saying, God saved me, God rescued me. And if it's this jarring change, scene one, this seems hopeless, scene two, full of hope because a, a new rescue has occurred that we don't really see. Now, just think about David writing this. Somehow, I don't know how, God clearly rescued him. The Psalm doesn't tell us how it happened. We just get the darkness before and the party afterwards. But then as you watch David in this Psalm, verse 23, the party begins to grow. So it's not just David that's celebrating God's rescue. Now more join the party and more join in with that joy. In particular, the whole nation of Israel gathers around David and the imagery begins to worship and praise God, singing to God because of the rescue that we haven't seen, but that David experienced. We don't see the rescue, we just hear the joy. And then more joined the party. Verse 27. All the nations of the world gather in around Israel, which is gathered around David, and all of them together are praising God for a rescue that we haven't seen. We just hear the joy. And then it keeps on going yet again. More join the party, and more joined the joy in verse 30. Generations of people who aren't even born yet, then in this vision. Join in with all the nations of the world who are gathered around all of Israel, which is gathered around David, and all of them together are looking at God, praising God and saying, God, you did it. I can see that God is good and that I can trust him because of the rescue that he effected In David's life, now we don't see the rescue, but we hear the joy. Now, slow down a second here psalm 22 was written originally by david and god rescued david lots and lots of times read his life story it happens all the time but none of those rescues quite create the cosmic joy that psalm 22 describes what is metaphorical for david however becomes literal for jesus And this is where Jesus's courage, how he navigated the darkness begins, begins to come clear. Go back to Jesus on the cross. God is laying Jesus into the dust of death. Jesus is, or Jesus is getting cut off from God's presence for the first time ever. Now, Jesus does not deserve that. In the Bible, I began to talk about this just a minute ago. It's, it's sinners, those who have rejected God, that get cut off from God's presence. So in the big story of the Bible, every human being, besides Jesus, every human being has, in one way or another, rejected God and preferred ourselves. We, we've, have I, have you rejected God? Well, When we prefer ourselves over and against God, we're saying, God, you're not going to be the captain. You're not going to call the shots. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And that's a way of, severing ourselves from a deep, animating relationship with God. Now, and that's the origin of all sin. Now, the thing is, when we do that, when we prefer ourselves and we reject God and we sort of sever ourselves, we declare independence from God, um, then it makes sense that eventually we will get what we've asked for. We've asked to be independent of God, and therefore we deserve to be cut off from God forever. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus never rejected God, Jesus never preferred himself over and against God, but nevertheless, when he's dying upon the cross, he's getting not what he deserved, he's getting what we deserve. And the question is why in the world would Jesus stand for this? Why would he consent to it? Because he did, he volunteered for the job. Well, here's part of why as Jesus was experiencing the hell of Psalm 22, he was also trusting God for the joy of Psalm 22. Somehow in a remarkable way, Jesus could look forward and see that through his suffering, there would be a remarkable effect. Through his suffering, millions and then billions of people would be drawn into the presence of God and united in worship and honor and joy before God. He could see, countless generations of people from every nation and every language around the world, gathering together and glorifying God, not because they deserved to be in God's presence, but because Jesus had suffered their penalty and had exacted all the justice required and that Jesus was giving them a reward that they did not deserve, but that Jesus had earned. And Jesus could see that if he was cut off temporarily that many, many people who didn't deserve it could be brought in and adopted as God's children permanently. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. The joy described in the second half of Psalm 22. Where did Jesus's courage come from? His joy and his courage in the midst of the darkness came as he sought not his own comfort, but, but rather God's glory, even in the midst of the darkness. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He scorned its shame, says Hebrews, but in the end it was worth it. Okay, so if that's a little bit about what, how Jesus navigated, how does that help us? How does this give us courage? How does it help us navigate the darkness? What does this mean for us? And let me try to say this briefly and then I'll try to flesh it out. Jesus' courage came from seeing what the cross would accomplish, what his suffering would accomplish, how it would allow God's enemies to be reconciled and turned into God's children. Now, if you belong to Jesus Christ, your courage comes from looking not just at what the cross will accomplish, but what the cross already has accomplished for you. Those who belong to Jesus, look at what the cross already has accomplished. It has canceled our sin. It has canceled the penalty of our rejection of God. And it has made us to be God's children. Now, somebody says, "Uh, I don't get it. Okay, fair. Let me try to say the whole thing different. Remember Psalm 22. Remember how it sort of skips over the rescue? So you see desperate suffering. And then you see joy after a rescue, but the rescue itself you don't really see. Remember? If you belong to Jesus Christ, then Jesus's cross, which has already happened in the background, it has the certainty of the past tense. The cross of Christ is your missing rescue. And it's already happened. And therefore, our courage comes from looking back to the cross and knowing that Jesus defeated the hell of Psalm 22. And he will give us the joy of Psalm 22. So that if you belong to Jesus, you look at the cross and you realize, I am post-rescue even in the midst of my darkness. Now, let me try to flesh this out just a little bit. I want to point out two things. First, you have to see how Jesus holds us in the pain. And secondly, how Jesus holds us all the way to joy. First of all, Jesus holds us in the pain. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, he hasn't hidden his face, but has heard when he cried out." Now, Emmanuel, I know some of us are in real pain right now. Huge questions, personal grief, darkness. And for some of us, it's getting darker the longer we're alone. And when you're in the darkness, It can feel like God's not there or that God has checked out or that God has failed. And there's something in us that screams out verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? What is the meaning of this? How could there possibly be meaning in the midst of this teeth grinding pain? And don't, don't imagine that I'm going to sit here and try to say, Oh, well, listen, I'll tell you what the meaning of everything. I'm not going to tell you that. I don't know what you're going through. I don't feel what you're feeling and I don't claim to and I wouldn't dream to. But I do know somebody who knows. I do know somebody who's been there. And you look at Jesus and you see that Jesus knows all about whatever suffering you're particularly going through. He's there. He's cried out that prayer. That prayer, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was laid in the dust of death and he was laid in it literally. Now, Do you think he has lost his compassion for you? Do you think having experienced your darkness that he's somehow cold to you? He does not despise your affliction. He wants to look at you and he says, I don't despise your affliction, I've tasted it. Even deeper than you have. Jesus says, I went all the way down into the midst of the darkness so that your affliction won't win in the end. You know, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is talking, he's imagining, he's saying that he's the shepherd and he's imagining that all those who belong to him are his sheep. And he says, no one snatches my sheep out of my hand. No one does. Jesus has a vice grip, which means Jesus holds you through the cross. He holds you even when you can't hold yourself and even when you can't feel him holding you. And as he holds you in his pain, as he holds you in your pain, he wants to show you his face. Verse verse 24, look at it. He wants to show you his face and he's listening to you. He wants you to know his presence. Jesus was cut off from God's presence so that you'll never be cut off from his presence. And he will lead you, as you look at his face, he will lead you to joy, even if it seems like that's impossible right now, he will lead you to the joy of worshiping him. And that may sound like talk coming from me, but it doesn't sound like talk when it's in the voice of Jesus. And there's a lot of people, countless millions, who's described in Psalm 22, who will be able to say from generation after generation after generation that he has done it. That's the last line in Psalm 22. And let me tell you the story of one, just, just a little story. A few days ago, right before evening prayer, I got a call, thankfully Clint led, led evening prayer because I had to take this call because it was from somebody who had been wanting to talk to for weeks. It's a man who's in jail and and we try to talk as much as we can but I hadn't talked to him for months and months because he had been in solitary confinement. Partially for his own safety, Um, you know, and we're, we're self-isolated with Netflix, you know, solitary confinement's a different thing. And I got to talk to him the other day and I said, how are, how have you been? How have you been? And you know what he said? He said, Jim, I went into solitary confinement. I went into the hole and Jesus was there. And Jesus has changed my life. And I knew Jesus's presence there in the hole. Now, I can't make that up. That's not what I thought he was going to say. And he says it because he's one of the countless billions of people whom Jesus purchased through his death on the cross and whom Psalm 22 describes, the people who are gathered to Christ and know eternal joy through the rescue of Christ's cross. Now that is a man who knows some courage in how to navigate the darkness and he's learned from the best, he's learned from Jesus because Jesus went down into the deepest darkness, deeper than we will ever know so that the darkness will not win in the end. And so if you're a Christian, if you belong to Jesus Christ, then listen, Jesus has not promised a comfortable life. Please stop believing he has. There will be times where you will pray the first part of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, Father? But when you're there, if you belong to Jesus, then you need to go to the second half of Psalm 22. And you need to look at that joy. That's your future. And then go from there to the face of Jesus Christ. Look at his face, verse 24, look at his face in the midst of your affliction. Look at his face in the midst of his affliction and you will see the reason why you can hope and navigate the darkness. You navigate it looking at his eyes. You lock your eyes with Jesus Christ. Trust him in the dark like he trusted his father in the dark. But now one last thing. Some of us on this call don't belong to Jesus yet and I need to say something to you. If you don't belong to Jesus yet, if you're still kind of holding Jesus at arm's distance and you haven't fully surrendered your life to him, maybe you've been religious for a super long time, maybe you're not religious at all, I don't know. But if you're just kind of going, you're stiff arming Jesus just a little bit, you're like uh, 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 just close enough to be beneficial but not close enough to have fundamental control of my life. If you're there and you feel alone, then I got to kind of say something weird it's because you still are. And what I counsel you, I beg you to do is go from, go from that place of aloneness to the second half of Psalm 22 and listen to that joy, that joy that's inviting every single person in the world to gather around Jesus and to be rescued by him. Look at that joy. And then Remember how there was a missing rescue in Psalm 22? The cross is your missing rescue. And you've got to go to the cross of Christ, which means you've got to say with verse 21, save me, Lord Jesus, save me. Save me through the cross and your death and your resurrection, save me forever. You can't rely on a medicine you haven't taken yet you got to take the medicine of the cross. And it means looking at how Jesus surrendered his life to his Father for your salvation, and then surrendering your life to him because he loves you. And then you will take your place in that countlessly, immeasurably large choir gathered around Jesus Christ, praising God the Father because we have been saved through the cross of Christ alone. And that's how you navigate the dark. Amen. Hello everyone, my name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emanuelanglicannyc.com give.